Thrive Church Online. My name is Kathy. I'm going to be your online host for today. If it's your first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting NEW at 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. Parents, don't forget to go to mythrive.info slash thrivekids to access the Thrive Kids curriculum. There you can find a worship video, a lesson video, a resource sheet that you can download, print, and do with your kids, and there's going to be Zoom classes every Sunday from between 10.45 to 11.15 a.m. We love a proactive church, so this week I would love to know what you put in your coffee or tea, or do you just not drink it at all? The other day at work we were taking everyone's coffee order and I find it so interesting what everyone prefers in their coffee. I like my coffee with one cream and no sugar. Our videographer Ryan here loves his coffee with two creams and one shot of espresso. So what do you like to put in your coffee or tea, or do you just not drink it at all? We'd love to see all your beautiful faces. So take a selfie of yourself tuning in today and post it on your social media using the hashtag ThriveChurchOnline. Are you ready for today's message? I'm now going to pass the time over to Pastor JB and I'll see you all later. Hello everybody and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB, I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive Church and I am so thrilled to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you are what we call our VIP. We are especially thrilled that you're here. And if you are here for the first time, whether you stumble upon us online or a friend invited you, we have a special gift to give to you just to say thanks so much for joining us today. If you wanna to go to mythrive.info, we would love to send to your door your very own stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle just as a little way to say thanks so much for joining us today. In fact, welcoming is not just what we do here at Thrive, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you just welcome one another in your chat rooms right now? Maybe you're sitting beside someone as you're watching the service, would you welcome them as well? Give them a high five, a handshake, a warm hug, an air high five, an air handshake, an air hug, whatever's appropriate. Let's welcome another to the house of God today. You guys are an amazing church, and we're so glad to spend time with you today. And I want to let you know is that last week when we collected the offerings, we said that a portion of our offerings would be going toward helping people living on the streets of Vancouver, especially in these sub-zero, super cold temperatures. And pleased to report that you guys were super generous once again, and you guys gave almost $1,000 toward that cause. And so would you give God a big hand, a big shout for that right now? Big thank you to Union Gospel Mission, with whom we're partnering to provide blankets and emergency kits, you know, warm, you know, winter clothing and food to people who are living on the streets of Vancouver. And praise God, in addition to that help, it looks like the weather is slightly warming up here in Vancouver as well. And so thank you so much for giving. Thanks so much for making a difference through your giving as well. Do you bring your Bibles today? We're going to go straight into the message right now. And if you brought your Bibles, it's time to grab those out right now. Uh, this is what my Bible looks like. Maybe yours is a paper Bible like 
like mine, maybe yours is a phone, you downloaded the Bible into, either way is cool. If you brought your Bible, will you hold it up, hold it up like this right now? And we're just going to make this proclamation together, just a fun way to get our hearts ready for the message. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't have a Bible, that's okay. Why don't you point to the Bible somewhere near you, if you can see one, and we're just going to make this proclamation together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible, it is God's Word. I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's Word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me, flip with me, scroll with me to Matthew chapter 1. That's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible, Matthew chapter 1. Really easy to find. Before I let you know what the title today's message is, let me know, let me let you know this, is that we hope that if you're here and you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, you're new to Jesus, we hope you know that we are so incredibly glad that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place where you can just be yourself, a place where you can find some encouragement, some hope to help you during this start of the week, uh, a place where you can find some community. In fact, if you want to get in on more community here at Throughout Church, I encourage you to join our Facebook community group, which just started really recently, and we want to encourage you to be part of that such that you can join us and be connected with us, not just on Sundays or at service, but all throughout the week as well. And so join us on our Facebook community group as well. In fact, there, if you see it, we have our latest relationship Q&A. We did a Q&A on relationships last week. We did another one, and you'd love to see it. I'm sure you would. Uh, you don't want to miss that as well. So check that out at our Facebook community page for Thrive Church. So good to have each and every one of you here. Today, as we get into the message, we are doing a series here at Thrive called Heart at Rest. Everyone say Heart at Rest. And see, this series called Heart at Rest is talking about how you and I can have a rested heart in the midst of a restless world. When there's so much unrest going on in our lives, COVID-19, you know, maybe some economic unrest, political unrest, maybe unrest in your relationships, you know, we can still find a rested heart through the lessons we can learn in this series. And I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. If you've missed any episodes far, so far, you can go to our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast to check those out. But today, I'm super excited to give you the episode four of this series, Heart at Rest. And the title to this message is called Rest in God's Sovereignty. Rest in God's Sovereignty. See, if there's nothing else you learn from this message today, I want you to know that we, if we want to have a rested heart and a rested world, we need to learn to rest in God's sovereignty. What does that mean? When I say rest in God's sovereignty, what that means is that you want to rest in the fact that God is in control. You want to rest in the fact that God is writing a greater story with your life. If you're going through a lot of pain right now, if things are not going your way, if there's an uncertainty in your future right now, then you need to know that you can rest in God's sovereignty. The fact that God is in control, that God is writing a greater story, and he makes all things beautiful in his time. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, rest in God's sovereignty? See, what is God's sovereignty? When we say that God is sovereign, what does that mean? What we mean is that, is that God has all the right to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. That God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. That's what sovereignty is. And the reason you can rest in God's sovereignty is not just because God is sovereign, but because God is good. 
And because God is good, you can trust that the decisions he makes, the plans he makes are for good as well. Therefore, you can rest in the sovereignty of God. And if you're trying to, trying to picture what does that look like to rest in God's sovereignty, today I want to show you a picture from Matthew chapter 1 that beautifully illustrates the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is in control. And before I share that picture with you, let me tell you something about my grandfather on my dad's side. I, I used to call him Gong Gong when he was still alive. And Gong Gong, he used to have this interesting exchange with me every time I saw him, especially when I was kind of into like my teens, my early 20s. Uh, and, and he had this kind of a, this funny way of addressing me. He'd be like, eh, Jebe. Every time he'd see me, he'd be like, eh, Jebe, where's your banana? Where's your banana? I'm like, well, like what, what, what's and, and if you don't know anything about our relationship, then you'll be like, that's a really weird question to ask. But it's because I knew that he loves bananas. I loved eating bananas too. I think my record was like nine in a day or something. And I and every time I'd go to visit him at his house, I'd always bring a banana with me. That was my gift to him. And so he'd always come up and go, hey, Jimmy, where's your banana? That's why he would ask me that question. And and here's the thing is that he would I would give him a little gift, which is a banana. And, and this is what he would give me. He gave me, well, there, there's a bunch of different gifts he gave me in my lifetime, but the one that is most memorable to me, one of them, was that one day he handed me this green folder, and I opened up the green folder, and it was, it was our family tree. It showed me, and it looked like he did it himself. It was a homemade tree where he kind of showed from generation to generation how our family came about and how we're all connected together from generation to generation. I thought that was really, really cool. And why do I mention that today? It's because today as we look at Matthew chapter 1, we're looking at Jesus' family line. And we're looking at what's called the genealogy of Jesus. And what Matthew chapter 1 is doing is it's listing Jesus' ancestors, all the way starting from Abraham, all the way down from generation to generation. It doesn't list every single generation. It's probably a selective list of the different generations that came before Jesus. And, and when you read this list, you know, some of the names you're going to recognize. You're going to recognize maybe Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, you know, Hezekiah. But there's some on, these lists, on this list that you're not going to maybe know about. You know, guys like Ebud or Eliakim or Azor. These guys don't sound like Bible characters as much as they sound like, you know, Star Wars characters or, or Pokemon characters, but they're, they're all in that list. And what is Matthew trying to do? Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and he's a descendant of King David, which are two important qualifications for any person who's going to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, the Savior King that scripture has been prophesying about. And see, Matthew not only does he give us this list of Jesus' ancestors, but he also does something really unusual with this list, is that this is not your normal Jewish genealogy. Is that, first off, you're going to find this, is that these, these, this list of names isn't just a name, doesn't just a list of all the fathers, but it's a list of, it lists a few women as well, which is highly unusual for a Jewish genealogy. And other than Mary, you see that four women are mentioned in this list. And you'd never see that in a Jewish genealogy. Not just that, these four women other than Mary, you could argue, are four of the most scandalous women in the Bible. Let me explain. Look at Matthew chapter 1. 
And, and look, look at this here. Matthew chapter one, verse one, it says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Would you underline those words? Whose mother was Tamar. Who's Tamar? Long story short, super simplified version. Tamar was a girl who used to be married. Her husband died. Her father-in-law was supposed to provide a surrogate husband for her so that she could have children, but he didn't. He ultimately failed to do that. And so you know what Tamar does? She takes matters into her own hands. She dresses up as a prostitute. She pretends to be a prostitute. And then she she sits somewhere on the road that where she knows his fa- her father-in-law called Judah is going. And, and she kind of just sits on the road and pretends to be a prostitute. And, and, and eventually, you know, his, her father-in-law catches, uh, you know, this prostitute. Wow. Oh my goodness. Doesn't notice his, her, his daughter-in-law. They end up sleeping together. He has, she ends up becoming pregnant by him. And she ends up having twins called Perez and Zara. And, 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 and Perez would end up becoming the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Is there, that's, that's Jesus' family line? Yeah, that's Jesus' family line. Is that, is that one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmothers pretended to be a prostitute and committed incest with her father-in-law? That's, that's part of her story. That's part of Jesus' story. Amazing. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. All right, so this is the next woman who we're talking about here. Who's Rahab? Rahab, unlike Tamar, didn't just pretend to be a prostitute. Rahab actually was a prostitute. That was how she made her living. She lived in the city of Jericho. She wasn't a Jewish person, but she ends up believing in the Lord. She, she marries a guy called Salmon, you know, and a fishy husband, I'm sure, Salmon. If you, if you get, my, get my dress. And, and, see, and see, out of this marriage comes this guy called Boaz, who ends up becoming the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So now, kind of two prostitutes in the line of Jesus. All right, next one, Matthew chapter one, verse five says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Who was Ruth? See, Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't from the nation of Israel. And so she didn't have any inherent right to anything that the, the Jewish people were talking about in terms of you know, the, the, the Lord's inheritance or, or, or being part of God's people. This was huge. This was a Gentile foreigner, someone that, you know, they, they usually didn't want to have anything to do with, and yet she becomes part of Jesus' family line as well. And she marries a Jewish man called Boaz, and as part of their engagement, some of you guys got engaged this past week, congratulations, but see, the, the, as part of their engagement, you know what she does? She, she, she actually dresses up in, in a fancy dress, and in the middle of the night, she actually lies, uh, she, she, like, when, when her, hus- or her husband-to-be, Boaz, has no idea when he's sleeping in the field, Ruth, she, she, she comes up to Boaz, he, she, she lifts off the blanket off his feet, and then he he then then she she lies down right at his feet, and and the people are like, what is that? That's weird. What's going on? And, and this was this was a, a, a kind of slightly scandalous way some people some scholars think of her proposing to Boaz. And see that was part of Jesus' family line. And then look at verse six. It says, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was a father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. 
See, this part is so scandalous that they don't even mention the name of the woman. Well, who's Uriah's wife? Well, Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is arguably the most famous mistress in the Bible. Is that King David, when, you know, when he was supposed to be out going to war, he stayed, he stayed back. He ends up having this adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba ends up becoming the mother to Solomon. And this is what's happening, is that we've got in Jesus' family line, two people who either pretended to be or actually were prostitutes. We got someone who committed adultery. And these are just the women. All the men did even worse things. But see, why do I mention that? Is that here we have these four women, other than Mary, who are mentioned here, who are arguably in quite scandalous like situations. They have some, a fairly scandalous history. And if anybody living in, for example, Tamar's time would say, could you imagine if the Messiah would come out of you know, Tamar's line? Or, or could you imagine if anything good can come out of Tamar's situation? Now, after she's committed incest, after she's pretended to be a prostitute, gotten, gotten impregnated by her father-in-law, could, could, could you imagine that someone says, oh yeah, you know what, could you imagine if the Messiah would come out of her one day? People are like, no way, man, are you kidding me? Her? Tamar? You know, or, or Rahab? The one who's the, the prostitute? Like the, 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 the holy Messiah of God coming out of her? Are you kidding me? Or Ruth? She's not even a Jew. Or, or, or Bathsheba? Like out of, a, out of an, like a, an adulterous affair? But yet that's what God chose to do in his sovereignty. And see, what's the lesson here we can learn? In fact, there's a number of lessons we can learn. Other than the fact that we can see that Jesus was born as a descendant of David, as a descendant of Abraham, we can also see a few other lessons from Jesus' genealogy that you can write down right now. Number one is this, is that you are not your past. Is that God's mercy is bigger than our mistakes. God's purpose is bigger than our past. Your past doesn't define you. That abuse you went through doesn't define you. That mistake you made doesn't define you. God has a bigger purpose for your life. Amen. And see, Jesus' genealogy is a reminder that God can show up in even the most hopeless, most messed up situation. Maybe you've got some, you, you, you're like, you, you look at Jesus' family line, you're like, oh man, maybe I'm not the only one with a crazy family after all. Man, I thought my in-laws were crazy, but Jesus' in-laws are kind of crazy here. And, and he, the fact is, you're not the only one. And, and here it is, is that you are not your past. God's mercy is bigger than our mistakes. God's purpose is bigger than our past. That's one of the lessons we learn from the genealogy of Jesus. Another one is this. Another lesson we can learn is that whereas we tend to focus on the moment, God focuses on generations. See, whereas we just tend to be very kind of, very kind of narrow-minded, always thinking of the short term, the immediate, the here and now, God doesn't just see here and now. God stands outside of time and space, and he doesn't just see the moment you're in right now. He sees where you're going to be generations from now. He sees where, you're, where your family's going to be generations from now, and he's focused on writing a story that's not just about the moment. He's focused on writing a story that threads generations, and we might not see the fullness of that story until generations later, but that's how God works because it's the sovereignty of God. Another lesson from this genealogy of Jesus is that, is that God is sovereign, is that he can choose to do whatever he wants to do, and he can use whoever he wants to use. See, God knew in advance all the mistakes that these four women we mentioned would make and all the pain that they would go through, and yet God still chose them. And you know what? I think of today, 
And, you know, oftentimes when you think of, like, scandalous situations, especially, you know, Christians being in scandalous situations, we don't tend to think of women. Uh, Oftentimes in the news we hear about more, like, Christian male leaders who are in the midst of a scandal. Maybe they they behaved very, very badly. Maybe they sexually harassed someone. Maybe they were a sexual predator, even. And you might hear these things in the news, even recently, that those things have come up. And don't get me wrong. What I'm saying to you today is not, oh, sexual harassment's okay. It's not. It's wrong. It's important. It's against the will of God. It's not something God ever intended. I'm not saying being a sexual predator is okay. Not at all. Leaders, especially if you're a Christian leader, we need to be living a holy life. We need to be accountable to people. We need to repent. We need to do all those things. But let it be a reminder that God chooses people not on the basis of their goodness, but on the basis of his grace is that God doesn't choose you because you're so good and you're so qualified. God chooses you because he is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he chooses to be gracious and to choose you and to choose me despite all the ways that we are messed up. Amen. And see, somehow it just goes to show, and again, it's not condoning anything that anyone has done you know, in the news or whatever because those things are, are, are sin. Those things should never have happened. Those things are things that we need to repent from and stay away from. But the thing is, God still allows broken pipes to carry his living water. And and, and rather than worshiping that person or worshiping the pipe, you need to focus on the one who's delivering the water. His name is Jesus. See, God is sovereign. He can choose whatever he wants to do. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can choose to use whoever he wants to use. That's another lesson from Jesus' genealogy. Number four is that God's ultimate plan for your life is that people would see Jesus through your life. You notice that? We don't know what God's plan for Eliud in verse 13 was, or a- Ahor, or, or, or anyone else. I've got to be careful how I say Ahor. We've got to be careful because the, the fact is this, is that we don't know what God's ultimate plan for them in their lifetime was, but we do know that God's ultimate plan for them was that they would be ancestors of Jesus Christ, that, that God would use their lives ultimately to bring out Jesus Christ through their lives. And Guess what? In the same way, God's ultimate plan for your life is that Jesus would come out of your life. Is that when people look at your life and the result of your life, that they would see Jesus Christ. And see, that's why whenever you're going through a tough time, you got to remember God's purpose. See, I would even put it to you this way, really simply, is that, and we don't have a whole lot of time to expand on, but let me just say it to you this way. God has three purposes for why he allows pain in your life. There are at least three reasons why, if you're going through a painful time right now, there's at least three reasons why God allows you to go through that pain. It's not because he's not there. It's not because he doesn't care, but it's for three purposes. The first is because he wants to refine us. God allows pain in our lives not to be cruel to us, but to cause us to mature, cause us to get stronger, cause us to get more resilient, cause us to be more patient, cause us to be more loving. It's that he puts pressure on us that way so that we can become more like Jesus. And so Jesus shows up in that way. Another way that God uses pain is to remind us. One is to refine us. The other is to remind us. Remind us of what? To remind us that earth is not our final destination. That it, so don't put all your stock in what's happening here and now because you were made for heaven. You were made for eternity. And, and if, if you can't find you know, satisfaction for every single longing in your life here on earth right now, it's because it's a reminder that God made you for something beyond this earth. 
he made you for eternity. That's another reason why we go through pain. So whenever you're going through something and you're not satisfied, be, be reminded that God made you not just for this world. He made you for something called heaven. Number three, the third reason why God would allow pain in your life is to reveal his power through you. See, first is to refine you. The second is to remind you. The third is to reveal his power through you. That somehow through your life, you know, God's power would show up. The power to overcome. The power to keep on going. The power to forgive. The power to, 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 to use what God has given you despite whatever else you're going through. It's because God has a plan for your life. Therefore, you can rest in his sovereignty. Amen. So how do you do that? Can, can I end today by just sharing with you two or three ways that you and I can rest in God's sovereignty? The first one is this. Is it, if you want to rest in God's sovereignty, number one, recall God's goodness to you in the past to give you hope about the future. Recall God's goodness to you in the past to give you hope for the future. Let me read Psalm 77. Would you read it with me right now? Verse six, it says, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? One of the things I love about the Bible is it's real. And in this psalm, these are some real emotions, real questions that one guy called Asaph is having about God right now. And that just goes to you can be real with God about your questions. You can be real with God about your, your, your frustrations, whatever it is you're going through. It's not too much for God. You can talk to God about it. But then what does Asaph do after having all these questions? Well, God, where are you? God, what, what, what's going on? You know, have, like, what, like I, I can't see you right now. Look at verse 10. It says, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. See, what's going on is Asaph, who's the guy who's writing this, this psalm, when he's in the middle of frustration, the middle of a huge issue in his life, to give him hope about the future, Asaph recalls God's goodness in his past is that to help him see clearly and to help him move forward and to help him have hope about the future, he looks to God's goodness in the past to remind him that that's the same God who's with them right now. And see, why is that important? It's because sometimes when you're going through a tough time, what needs to change the most is not your circumstance, it's your perspective. And, and see, maybe that's what you're needing to do right now is more than a change in your circumstances, even more than your circumstances changing. What you need is a change in your, the way you're looking at your circumstances, the way you're seeing life right now. You know, when Charlene, my wife, uh, you know, when, when she and I, we were deciding, we were living in Taiwan at the time. This is many, many years ago before, you know, we planted Thrive Church. And, and many, many years ago, we were living in Taiwan where Char's family is. And, you know, we were, we were having a, a good time there. You know, we both had jobs there, connected to a good church there. You know, we, we, and, you know, we, we would, you know, we would, every Friday night was our date night. And, you know, we, we, we had just a really good time, you know, like living life at that moment. And, and I know that, you know, we were also thinking that one day, one day, we've, believe God is going to call us back to Vancouver. 
And it was just kind of like a matter of kind of not if, but maybe when. And I remember there's one time when we actually came back to Vancouver just for a vacation. And we wanted to use that time to really kind of pray about what does God want us to do next? Because we didn't know. You know, we, we, I had a, a job offer waiting for me in Taiwan. And you know, she had a good job waiting for her. And, 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 and what was going on was we, we, we said, okay, we're going to independently pray about what we're going to do. And so you know, we, we'd be on two different, room, two different rooms in the house. And, and she'd be praying about our future. I'd be praying about her future, and, and Char, as she's praying, gets this incredibly strong sense as if God is saying, it's time to come back to Vancouver. It's time to come back to Vancouver. Back then, we didn't even know we we're here to plant a church. That, that would come later, but it was, a, it was a time to come to come back to Vancouver. I got the same sense, but we didn't talk to each other back then about that. We, we waited, and, and, and she, she was sensing that God wants you to come back to Vancouver, but she was not happy with what God was doing. She was like, God, I don't want to come back to Vancouver. My family's in Taiwan. I've got a job in Taiwan. Our friends are there. Our church is there. It's like, it's like I like life in Taiwan. I want to stay there as long as we can. And, and, and there was this, this big wrestling match between, between, between Char and God. And, and, and it was one of those things where, where at some point after all this wrestling, finally one day, God speaks to Shar, the Holy Spirit speaks to Shar and says, when have, I, when have I ever not provided for you? When have I ever not provided for you? And then all of a sudden, you know, it was almost the Holy Spirit was, was, was encouraging Shar to think back to all the different seasons of Shar's past in different places where she lived, different moves that she made, where things were uncertain, things were scary, things were comfortable where she was, but he was, she's, being, she's being called to something else and saying, you know what, wasn't I there every single time? And didn't I provide for all of your needs? And the answer was yes and yes. And as a result, she was like, what was going on is that because she was recalling the years in the past when God was good to her, she had hope about her future going forward. And in the same way, if you are one to rest in the sovereignty of God, one of the best things you can do is remember God's goodness in your life. Maybe you recently got a job. Maybe, you know, recently a door opened. Maybe you recently started a relationship. You can write these things down, put it on your wall, write a song, do something to remind yourself of the goodness of God because there will come a day when you might find that it's tougher to see God's goodness and you can look back at those moments and remind yourself that the same God who was good to me back then is with me still and the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23 verse 6 says it this way. It says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me put it this way. When you know that you are blessed, you can have a heart that's at rest. When you know that you are blessed, your heart can be at rest. And of course, we don't want to stop there. We don't just want to stop at all. Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so happy. It's not, it's not about that. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. We are called to be a blessing. But in terms of having peace in your heart about your situation, it so helps to focus on the goodness of God and remember that you are already as blessed as you are. Turn your number and say, you are so blessed. You are so blessed. You are so blessed. You know, maybe the reason why you're having such a tough time in the present right now and so, so little hope of the future right now is because you've forgotten God's goodness in the past. 
is maybe not your circumstance that need to change. Maybe it's your perspective. See, and if you're kind of wondering, well, like, I, I can't think of anything, any way that God's been good to me. Well, I think you need to think a little harder, but let me remind you of the greatest thing. The greatest picture, the greatest example of God's goodness in your life and my life is that when we were separated from God because of our sin, when each one of us had rebelled against God, done our own thing, disqualified ourselves from having anything to do with God, whether now or in heaven later, when we had nothing to do with God because of our sin, God didn't abandon us. He didn't divorce us. He didn't quit on us. Instead, he sent his only son, Jesus, to live the life that we could not live, a life that met all of God's requirements. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God. That is the love of God for you and for me. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins to show that you can trust every word that Jesus says, he rose again from the grave to show that God is sovereign and God is good. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. Because God is sovereign and because God is good, you can rest in God's sovereignty. Number two, if you want to rest in God's sovereignty, the second thing that you can do, trust that God's timing is better than your timing. Trust that God's timing is better than your timing. You know, one of the things we do as a church these days, in fact, we're doing it for years now, is that every day we'll read the Bible together, a little passage, maybe 10, 12 verses from the Bible, and then I'll send you guys an email, our team will send you an email from me saying, hey, in case you're wondering what to learn from this passage, here's some things that I was learning in this passage. We actually walk through the Bible together every single day, and one of the things we did this past week is we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and looking at this guy called Jairus. Jairus, he was a, a synagogue leader. He was a leader in the church, but he had a problem that he could not solve himself. He had a daughter who was very, very sick, who was dying. And and this story, one of Jesus's big, big stories in the gospel is Jairus. He goes to Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet and he pleads with Jesus. He says, my girl is dying. Would you please come over to my house? Lay your hand on her so that she can be healed and so that she can live. And Jesus says, okay, I'm coming. And so they start going over to Jairus' house and crowd this huge crowd is, is pressing against them. And in the middle of them going over to Jairus' house, Jesus feels like there's something, that some power that came out of him. It's because there's this older woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, had some kind of blood disease that was not being cured. No matter where she went, no matter how many doctors she pursued, she just could not find a cure. But she just believes with faith, if I touch his cloak, then I will be healed. And so she reaches out in faith. She stretches out her hand. She touches Jesus' cloak. And at that point, Jesus feels, feels power coming out of him and into her and she feels in her body that something's different. She feels in her body that she's been healed and Jesus turns around. She looks, he looks at the entire crowd and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. Like they're pressing against you. They say, no, no, no. Someone touched me. And, and, and this, this woman who was bleeding and who's healed, she, she, she knows that he's talking about her. And so she, she falls at her feet and, go, and goes, you know what? It's me. I, I did it. I did it. I did it. And she's kind of scared. But Jesus Jesus says, go in faith. Your faith has healed you. And, and see, what's going on? In the middle of this, Jairus is waiting for Jesus. And he's like, and, and you know, and, 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 and in that moment while he's waiting, he's got these, this team of people coming from his house going, Jairus, I'm so sorry. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter died They're just, just moments ago. And, and you know what? I, I'm just trying to put my, myself in Jairus' shoes. Say, say that was my daughter. That was my kid who was sick and then died, right when we were on our way to the house. And then we get interrupted by this miracle. Yeah, great, praise God. But what about my daughter? 
What about her? Like, like I, I'd be like, you know what, Jesus, didn't I do everything right? You know, didn't I humble myself and, and plead with you at your feet? Didn't, didn't I, you know, and then when, when you started, when I, didn't I invite you to my house? Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Invite you in? Didn't I do that? And then, and then when, when, when you started to come with me and we get interrupted by this woman, you know, God bless this woman, sure, great, the great miracle, that's awesome, but she's lived her life. My daughter's life is just beginning. She's 12 years old. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, like, what's, what's, what, like, how does this make any sense at all? I did everything right and still things didn't happen the way they should. Have you ever been in that situation before? Where you feel you've done everything you can. You feel you've done everything right, but still God doesn't show up the way that you want to show up. Like the ministry still didn't take off. The business still failed. The marriage didn't get better. The miscarriage still happened. You know, the news didn't come through. The open door didn't open. Has that ever happened before? You just did everything you could, but still, it wasn't what you wanted. It wasn't what you were asking for. That's where, Je- that's where Jairus was. And see, fortunately for Jairus, Jairus didn't give up on God. Instead, when Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, Jairus says, okay. And Jairus takes Jesus up at his word. And you know, that's the thing. Sometimes our biggest problem is that we give up on God way too quickly and way too easily, such that, you know, We've already given up on God and didn't give him the room and the time that he needs to do something even greater. But fortunately, Jairus waited and he obeyed Jesus when he said, don't be afraid, just believe. They go to his house and this is what happens. Mark chapter five, verse 35 says this. We'll just take it back a little bit. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And then verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. See what's going on here. Jesus wasn't taking his time because he was lazy. Jesus wasn't taking his time because he was incompetent or because he was indifferent to Jairus' situation. Jesus was taking his time because God's timing is always better than our timing. And see, God had a greater miracle in mind than even Jairus did. Jairus wanted Jesus to heal the sick. Jesus wanted to raise the dead. And see, it just goes to show that when God doesn't do exactly what you want to do, It's not because God is cruel. It's not because God doesn't care. It's because God is writing a greater story with your life. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to live to please us. It's not about us. But because he loves us, you can be assured that when he doesn't do what you want him to do, it's because he's got a better thing in mind. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. In fact, you know, when God makes you wait, it's because he wants to show up in a greater way. 
and, and let me tell you, it's usually one of two ways. When God makes you wait, he wants to show up in one of two ways in a greater way. It's either through a greater miracle than you expected, or it's through a greater maturity than you ever had. Is, see, do you get that? Let me say it again. When God wants to show up in your life, it's usually two, through one of two ways, a greater miracle than you expected, or a greater maturity than you had before. One is external, change in your circumstances one is internal change in you and sometimes the second one is more important than the first sometimes they come together sometimes they don't but here's the thing you know god always has a better timing turn your neighbor and say god's timing is better god's timing is better god's timing is better than our timing you know, when I was uh, in my second year of law school, law school's three years, and you know, they, they have this joke, this running joke that says, you know, uh, in, in first year of law school, they scare you to death. In second year of law school, they work you to death. In third year of law school, they bore you to death. Uh, and it's because by second year of law school, you're already supposed to have that job and that you're gonna go to after graduation. So third year becomes kind of boring because you already know where you're going. And um, for a lot of people at least, and I know when I was in second year of law school, the goal of almost every law student in our class was to get in with one of the big prestigious law firms in one of the big cities, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, you know, go work there and then your, your future is set, man. You know, you're gonna live, you're, 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 you're gonna, cause when you get, when after your second year of law, you, you during the summer before your last year of law, you get to work in a nice firm and you're guaranteed to come back as an articling student after, if you, if provide you pass your articling student uh, term, then you can go on to become a lawyer in that same firm. And so everyone's going for that summer job. I need that summer job after second year of law school. Oh man, that's, that's what I need. That's what I need. A second year law school. Uh, you know, I, I, want, I want a job at a firm. And, um, and so uh, like everybody else, or like almost everybody else, I'm, I'm, I'm giving applications, job applications everywhere. They're just sending them as, to as many places as I can. Uh, to some of the bigger firms, you know, I had pretty good grades. I thought, you know, maybe I'm, a, I'm a, an okay candidate. So I send out these different, different, uh, different applications. I go through all these different interviews. And there are these two firms in particular that I was really interested in working for. They're, they're, you know, it's two, you know, good, prestigious, reputable firms and, 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 you know, and things seem to be going really well. You know, had like a number of interviews with them and finally this was like, you know, the night before they're supposed to make the decision and they bring all the law students into this one nice ballroom and there's, you know, there's champagne and there's hors d'oeuvres and, and, and there's, there's, you know, people all, all around there. There's the lawyers that are interviewing. There's the students who are there. We're all dressed up and, and we're, we're sh- Moosing, you know, we're talking to people, all this stuff. And, 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 and you know, I, I was really just kind of, it was a long week. And I just thought, you know, I, I just, I, I was kind of just, just wanted to express, what was one way that I can express my thanks to these two firms that had spent, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of time with me already. Just to say thank you, I appreciate you guys. Regardless of what happens, thank you guys. I decided to write a letter. I wrote a letter to both of these firms to say, hey, thanks so much for taking the time to spend with me. I really appreciate it. And, um, and so I, I had this letter in my jacket pocket and uh, I go into this, you know, this party and I find the first partner from this first firm and I go up to him and I shake his hand and he says, hey, uh, Justin, uh, I, I was wondering, do you, we're actually going for dinner uh, just after this party. Do you want to come with us? And I'm like, oh, hey, thanks for the dinner invitation. I, I'm actually good. You know, I, I, you know, I'm actually, you know, it's been, you know, it's been long 
long day. I think I, think I might just go home and, and, and get some rest. But I hey, just want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, here's, a, here's a letter uh, from me to you guys to say thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys considering me. And, uh, and, and, and that was that. And he looked, at the, he, looked, he looked at the envelope. He didn't open it. He looked at the envelope. He looked at me with kind of a weird look on his face. And he said, okay, all right, I'll see you later. And then I went to the second firm. I did exactly the same thing. Hey, Justin, we're just about to go to dinner. Uh, do you want to join us? Come with us. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm good. You know, I think I'm just going to head home. But here, just to thank you for your time, here's a letter to say thank you. And he looked at me, he was all, and he was like, oh, oh, okay, all right. And so I'm heading home, and I'm on the subway back to my dorm at York University and uh, in Toronto. And I, 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 I get a call from one of my friends who was also at the party. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, Justin, like, like, did I just see you be invited to dinner by these two firms and you rejected both of them? I'm like, well, I mean, it's, it's just a dinner invitation, right? Like, I, I, just, I just thought I'd go home. He's like, oh, dude, you stupid, stupid guy. Don't you know that when they invite you to dinner, that's the final interview? Do you realize that? It's like, it means that they're almost, th- you're almost there. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? And, 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 and I, I'm like, I, I hang up the phone. I, I, I try to go back to the party. It's too late. Everyone's gone. I go back. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What did I just do? What did I just do? I thought I did everything right. You know, I, I thought I gave, you know, the right kind of message. I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm do, I thought I did everything the way I'm supposed to do it, but I didn't. And, and you know, I, go, I went home that day, and I found out later on that they gave the jobs to two other people. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. And, you know, it just for some reason, for some reason, you know, those are two big firms in the city. I applied to other firms, and for some reason, the door just kept on closing. And I don't know why. It's like, do I smell or something? Like, what is, what, what's wrong? And um, finally, I remember I went to church, and there I am facing a, a summer after second year of law school where I don't have a job. And I, I, I go into church, and, and there's this, this, this girl who gets up on the, on the stage and she says, today I want to share with you my experience doing missions in Asia. And uh, she starts talking about this mission trip she went on, uh, teaching English to kids or to, 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 to teens and university students and, and, and adults and, and, um, and just like leading people to Jesus and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? That, that sounds really cool. Just, yeah, that, that actually sounds really cool. And... Um, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about doing missions. I, that just, it wasn't on my mind. I was all about my job, my career, my, 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 my future. I was all about that. And since I had, <laughs> I guess, nothing better to do, I, I, I decided, you know what? After praying about it, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply to that missions trip. And, uh, and I, I went on missions that summer. And then I'm having the time of my life. I went to Asia and realized that, my goodness, like, it's like a whole world open. It's sort of like seeing people come to know Jesus. People come to know just, uh, just how, how, how to have peace in their heart because they know Jesus Christ is their Savior. And, and it was one of those things where I was like, I remember I was, I'm standing on the, the roof of, uh, of the building that we're staying on, and, I, and I'm just kind of like, God, I wouldn't trade this for a job in Vancouver or a job in Toronto. This, this was worth it. And uh, lo and behold, you know, it's one of the things where because of that experience, it, it opened my eyes to think, you know, one day I could see myself living in Asia. And, you know, maybe one day, you know, after I get married, it'd be kind of nice to do that. And, and it started getting me thinking about other potential career paths and all that stuff. And lo and behold, you know, in the, in the midst of all that, I think shortly after I prayed that prayer, I get a call in Asia from one of the firms that uh, I'd interviewed with and said, hey, uh, we know that there was maybe a bit of a misunderstanding about what happened in that dinner uh, invitation. We want to ask you back uh, and uh, do one more interview with us. 
So I came back, and at the end of that summer, I interviewed with that same firm, and they gave me that job so that after my last year of law school, I'd have a place to go. It was the firm that I'd chosen to go with, or the firm that my, 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 my number one choice, and it just went to show that God was not shortchanging me. In fact, he had a greater plan after all. Amen? Amen. You've got, got a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Amen. And you know, at the time, I didn't understand. It was like my timing was not clearly not God's timing, but his timing was a better timing. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, I, I don't, you know, because of that moment, I don't know if we've ever gone and lived in Asia if it weren't for that moment, that, that experience. I don't know if we've been, we would have been, been commissioned to start Thrive Church here in Vancouver if it weren't for that experience because it all kind of led up. It was God was sovereign in that. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And you know, there's, 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 there's something I need to let you know is that God makes all things beautiful in this time. Does that mean you don't need to work hard? Of course not. You know, it, like, like resting in God's sovereignty doesn't mean that, you know, you just kind of don't bother doing anything. You're just lazy. You know, I want a job, but I'm not going to try for it because God is sovereign. You know, I, I, I have an exam, but I'm not going to study because God is in control. You know, I, I want to get married, but I'm not going to bother getting ready for that in any kind of way because God is sovereign. You know, that, that's, that, that's not it. See, resting in God's sovereignty is not being lazy. Resting in God's sovereignty is saying, do your best with what is in your control and trust God with what is out of your control control. And see, but there's also another really important clarification I need to make about what it means to rest in God's sovereignty. It's like, I just shared with you my experience, you know, with, you know, getting that job and all that stuff, going on missions. Will every struggle you go through in life always end with a very pretty little bow at the end in your lifetime? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Remember, God doesn't just think about the moment. God doesn't even think about one lifetime. He thinks in generations. And so there may be, there will be some struggles, some questions you go through that might not have a resolution in your lifetime. But that's not because God is not there. It's because God is sovereign and he's writing a greater story, not just with your lifetime, but with lifetimes and generations to come. We might not figure it out or understand it on this side of heaven, but when we look back and see it all, we'll see that God had a greater plan in mind, and so we can rest in the sovereignty of God. Amen. And so even if there's a particular issue in your life, your marriage, you know, a struggle, you know, depression, some something where you always thought that God would put a pretty little bow over it so you could testify at Thrive Church, so this is my testimony, and God is all good. The fact is this, is that sometimes God doesn't put a pretty little bow over everything. Sometimes he waits to do that in heaven. Sometimes he waits to do that generations from now. Tamar didn't see the pretty little bow. Rahab didn't see the pretty little bow. Ruth not even saw the pretty little bow. Of course, there were blessings and all that stuff. Bathsheba didn't see all the pretty little bow. But when that pretty little bow, who's amazing, his name is Jesus, came, it made it all worth it. Amen. Amen. Don't put your hope in a circumstance. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Finally, to end, if you want to rest in the sovereignty of God, surround yourself with people who remind you of God's purpose for your life. See, it really helps 
to surround yourself with people who are also heading in the direction of trusting and resting in God's sovereignty. You remember how Jesus healed Jairus' daughter? Is that before Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, raised her from the dead, you know what people did? People laughed at Jesus. Jesus, oh, why are you guys, why are you guys crying? She's only asleep. <laughs> Jesus, you're a fool, man. Jesus, you're crazy. You're insane. She's obviously dead. She's dead, man. What, what in the world? And even before that, he's like, they're, like, they're like, why bother with this guy anymore? He obviously didn't help you, Jairus. Let's just go home. She's dead already. And then Jesus, what does he do? The Bible says Jesus ignored their words and he put them outside. And he, who did he let into the house to see the miracle? It was those who trusted in him. It's those who still believe that Jesus is sovereign. It was the mother. It was the father. Jairus, it was his disciples, he got them in the home. And there's a, there's a lesson there, is that if you want to rest in God's sovereignty, then it matters who you surround yourself with. Because God loves to operate in an atmosphere of faith. And when your, and your faith thrives in an atmosphere of faith, is that when you get around people who are habitually negative, always complaining, always doubting, always, you know, you know not, not, not that you're not allowed to have questions, but they always have this negative spin on everything. That's not going to help your faith. That's to help you be rested in God's sovereignty. That's gonna give you restlessness. But when you get with people who trust in God's sovereignty, who remind you, hey, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Hey, God is in control. He makes all things beautiful in this time. When you get together with others who believe that and know that, who speak that, who pray that, then guess what? It helps you to find rest in the sovereignty of God, amen? You know, lastly is this. Let me just say that we're doing Thrive Disciple School right now. Uh, love our current class of Thrive Disciple School students. We'll be doing another one in a few months from now. But uh, you know, when students were asked about, you know, can you share about the impact that God has made on your life through Thrive Church? You know, I, I was hoping that some of them would say, oh, you know, the preaching is amazing, or you know, the, the, the sermons are so powerful. And, and you know, praise God, and some people did say some stuff along those lines. But, but, but you know what? More, you know what we got in terms of feedback more than anything else? It's about, you know what? When I joined a small group, it all changed for me. When I got together with a small group at Thrive and I started to meet with them on a regular basis and to pray with people, you know, share our highs and lows, talk about God's word, you know, support one another, encourage one another, all of a sudden, my faith started to, started to really become stronger. It's because you were made not to live on your own in your faith. You were made to do community with others and to rest in God's sovereignty with God's people. That's why coming to church is so helpful. That's why being part of a small group is so helpful. And so praise God. If you want to rest in God's sovereignty, recall God's goodness in the past to give you hope for the future. If you want to rest in God's sovereignty, always remember God's timing is better than your timing. And finally, if you want to rest in God's sovereignty, surround yourself with people who remind you of God's purpose for your life. Get into a small group. Go to mythrive.info to sign up for a small group. Sign up at least for our Thrive community page on Facebook. You know what? Get together with others because in so doing, iron sharpens iron and we get stronger together. Amen? Amen? We need to learn to rest in God's sovereignty because when we do, we understand that God is in control. He is writing a greater story and he makes all things beautiful in his time. With that in mind, I just want to end today by leading you guys in a chance to respond to God. We don't just want to give you information here at Thrive, but we want to lead you to Jesus, believing that Jesus makes transformation possible. And so it's with that in mind that I want to invite you right now, wherever you are, just to, just to respond together with me through this time of prayer. And this doesn't concern your neighbor. Don't worry about them. This is between you and God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, 
I'm just gonna encourage you right now is that if you realize today that you need Jesus in your life, you need God's forgiveness for sin, you need God's peace in your heart, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want one, then I'm gonna encourage you to do this. And uh, sorry, I think I, I need to ask you to open your eyes right now is I want you to take your phone and, and scan that QR code that's on your video screen right now, or you can click the link that's in your chat room. What's gonna happen is it's gonna take you to a prayer that you can pray as a response to God today. And uh, if you're not really sure how to pray it, don't worry, I'm gonna pray it with you together. And so if you need Jesus in your life, you want God's forgiveness for sin, then I wanna encourage you today to just click that link uh, on your chat room, uh, you know, scan that QR code on your screen, and we're just gonna pray this prayer together. Whether you see that prayer on your screen or not, you can pray this as well if you mean it from your heart. This is just us humbling ourselves before God, uh, and it's uh, just a way for us to ask God for his forgiveness. Uh, why don't you just pray this prayer with me right now? You can say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? It's not so much the words we speak as much as the attitude of your heart. If you meant that from your heart and you sincerely asked Jesus into your life just now, then congratulations. The Bible says you are forgiven of your sins, that you are a child of God, you are a, a citizen of heaven, and uh, that the best is yet to come. And praise God. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you made that decision today, uh, to, you know, there's a little gift that you can receive at the end of that prayer page. You can click on that link. Uh, a little gift that we want to give you to encourage you in your walk with God. If you're interested in getting baptized, which is that next natural step in just saying, I believe in Jesus. It's not saying how great am I, but look at how great Jesus is, how he died on the cross for me. If you want to get baptized, we'd love to you know, do that with you as well. You can go to mythought.info and click the button baptism for that. But uh, big congratulations to those of you who prayed that prayer just now. Uh, another thing we want to do right now is want to pray for those of you who realize whether you've trusted God today or you've trusted God before, uh, that you need to rest in God's sovereignty. If that's you, I want to encourage you right now, just to pray to God with me right now. And so why don't you lift your hands to God right now. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God today. Let the height of your hands reflect you coming to God with a humble heart, recognizing your need for Him. And uh, I'm just going to invite you right now, in your own words, to just take half a minute just to start, start talking to God right now. You know, today we're talking about the sovereignty of God, how He's in control, how He's making all things beautiful in this time. Maybe there's a situation right now that is not the way you were hoping it would be. You can give that to God right now. You can give everything to God right now. You can be real with God right now. We just start talking to God. Don't wait for me to stop talking. You just start talking to God right now from your heart. Give your burdens to him. Give your cares to him. He loves you. Give him your thanks. Give him your praise. Whatever you need to do, just give God this time. Would you start praying to God right now? Yeah, that's right. Wherever you are, just start talking to God. Wherever you are, don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. Just start talking to God right now. He loves you. He's here. He's listening. He's with you. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. If you want to rest in God's sovereignty, you want to start going in that direction, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray to do just that. Why don't you do that right now? You can just repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, you are the sovereign God. This life is not about me. It's about you. Help me to rest in the fact that you are in control, that you are writing a greater story 
with my life than anything I could write myself. Thank you that because you are sovereign, you are in control, and you are good, I can trust you that you will make all things beautiful in your time and in your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Praise God. Right now, as we continue our time to give God some worship in this place, we're going to sing a song. We're also going to give our tithes and our offerings. Those of you who call throughout church, your home church, it's time to give. Let's give generously, knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And not only does he add everything we need, he builds his church through us as well. Let's sing this song. Let's give our best. Let's respond to God. Praise God. The best is yet to come.
can hardly speak a piece so unexplainable I, I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 as you call God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. Oh, come on, there's more than that. Give God all of your praise in this place right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we declare together today that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that your mercy is bigger than our mistakes, your purpose is bigger than our pain, and your story, the one you're writing, is bigger than anything we could possibly write ourselves. We declare, we confess, we acknowledge today that this life is not about us, it's about you and the story that you're writing. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be greatly glorified through our lives so that you can write an amazing story with what we do here on this earth. And with that in mind, that I pray all of your blessing, your protection, your hope, your healing, your comfort, your wisdom, your peace, and your Holy Spirit to fill every single person here until we next meet again. We thank you and we give you praise. Be glorified, Jesus. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in the space right now. Praise God. That brings our service today to a close, but the worship continues. Let's continue to worship God in all that we do. We'll see you guys in small groups. Sign up for a small group if you haven't already. If you want to get baptized, go to mythrive.info. Next steps, go to mythrive.info. We'll see you guys next week for the next episode of our Heart at Rest series. You don't want to miss it. Encourage you to invite a friend, and we'll see you guys really soon. Take care, everybody. Love you guys. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Pastor JB. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements. If it's the first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting new at 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package that I want to send to you as well as a series of videos that may answer some questions that you have with you. So just text BELIEVE at 604-285-5770 or visit info. And if you'd like to get baptized, visit info slash baptism. As Pastor JB said in his message today, a lot of people love coming to Thrive Church because of our small groups. Small groups is a place where we can stay connected, which is especially important during a time like this. Small group is where you can encourage and pray for one another. So if you're currently not part of one, sign up at info. Another great way for us to stay connected is to join every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. our Zoom prayer meetings. 
Zoom prayer meetings are where we can worship and pray with one another. So our Zoom link information is down below, or we post it every Tuesday on Facebook on our Thrive Church online community group. Thrive Church online community is where Thrivers stay connected, hang out, and have fun. So find us on Facebook. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings, and I'll see you all next week here at Thrive Church Online.